Hi, we're Phil and Jen, and this is season three, We Can Make Change. And this is episode 14. We're calling this one Moving Forward. But before we do that, we have a couple things going on. We have sessions, which you can jump into, which is basically like uh, spiritual and relational growth coaching, essentially. And we've been meeting with people for that, both in person and uh, via Zoom. So you can jump into those. You can check that out on the website, philandjenwood.com. And we have a self-guided marriage renaissance retreat up now on the site. This is very exciting. (laughs) We originally planned on doing an in-person retreat around this time of year, um, but we decided with COVID, um, we're going to try to push it back towards the end of the year. That's That's right. That's our goal. But in the meantime, we got this idea um, to do a self-guided retreat. And basically what that is, is you choose where you want to go. You choose when it's a good time for you to do it. And then we are providing the content, um, the basically fun ideas of things to do, activities, um, specific activities that actually have personally drawn us closer together. And we got this idea, actually, when we were pastoring the church, people would come to us and say, hey, I want to get away for a weekend with my spouse, but I don't know what to do. I really want it to be intentional. Can you give us some ideas? And I mean, we didn't really have like at the time other than just throwing a few things at them, an intentional way to give them something. And so we thought, what if we create just this whole plan for people and they can take what they want from it and leave, you know, kind of like a choose your own adventure. So there's audios that go with it. six audios that are like little short, punchy talks and content just to set you up for really interesting conversations together to go deeper and to grow closer together. Yeah. And they start Monday of the week that you would be going away. So you, you do one Monday to kind of prep you, lets you know kind of ways that you could be preparing during the week. And then it starts Friday. And the idea is to take a weekend, whether you, you know, book a hotel or an Airbnb, or you decide even to do a stay at home retreat, which is a great option right now with yeah, it's great. the pandemic and everything. So Check that out. Um, mark your calendars. Book a hotel or an Airbnb, or make a plan for a stay-at-home retreat, and you can check that out at the site as well. So, <laughs> you looked at me. I looked at you. Like that's it. You that's all I got. Okay, kick it to me. Good. <laughs> the this retreat is going to be really fun. Yeah. We basically created it like what would. What would be the things that we would want to go talk about yeah. when we got away? And then we then we were actually like, we need to actually go do Let's some go of this do stuff. this retreat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, there's that. Jen called this one moving forward, but honestly, we were just about to hit record on this thing. And we're like, what do we call this? And we mm-hmm. said, maybe moving forward. And so it, it feels like moving forward. We'll like, see. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe it'll be different in the... The show notes. Yeah, because we had title. a different plan for today. We did. Um, and then somebody, a girlfriend of mine, sent us. Um, she sent a post. This post that from she... Aaron Nequist, who made a fascinating statement that I just loved. And then there's a New York Times article by David Brooks that just came out a couple of days ago that is called. Wait, I'm looking for it. The dissenters trying to save evangelicalism from itself. And we read those two things. I mean, that's a title. That is right that's a lot of title. And we, it sparked some conversation 
between us and a lot of thought and I was wrestling which with, which we haven't finished the conversation. No, this, no. Is the, this is the this conversation. is the conversation we and just so, started it then we thought what if we just talk about this on the podcast today our thought was what if we hold off on what we were going to do and instead have this conversation because I think it's absolutely fascinating so so I'm excited to talk to you right now because we actually haven't finished the conversation and <laughs> I have more to say right I know you do yeah I, I would love to chase this and see Kind of where it goes. So I'll start with the article. This article in the New York Times came out, I think, four days ago um, from the time that we're doing this. So it's it's fresh. This is hot. And it starts like this. Um, I'll read you the opening paragraph just to get you hooked. He says, think of your 12 closest friends. These are the people that you vacation with, Talk about your problems with, do life with in the most intimate and meaningful ways. Now imagine if six of those people suddenly took a political or public position that you found utterly vile. Now imagine learning that those six people think your position is utterly vile. You'd suddenly realize that the people that you thought you knew best and cared about most had actually been total strangers all along. You would feel disoriented, disturbed, unmoored, your life would change. Powerful, familiar to what everybody's going through. And then he goes on, he says, this is what has happened over the past six years to millions of American Christians, especially evangelicals. It goes on, he says, there have been three big issues that have profoundly divided them. The white evangelical embrace of Donald Trump, sex abuse scandals in evangelical churches and parachurch organizations, and attitudes about race relations, especially after the killing of George Floyd. Then it goes on and it describes these Christian leaders' experiences of experiencing life and relationship and church in a particular way, and then over the last several years having all of that very unexpectedly like unravel and come apart and become an extremely like, grieving, disorienting time where these like lifelong relationships are suddenly gone, where there's this like things that you thought were no longer are, and it's this wildly kind of disorienting space. Yeah. And it, it's interesting, the word choice, because I'm reading like agonizing, bewildering, but I think one word that kept coming up as we were processing this you know, when we were pastoring, it was like um, betrayal is the word that I kept hearing from people. Like people felt betrayed by people, by other Christians. Like I thought we were all doing the, we, I thought we were all one thing. And it, I like, I learned that, oh man, a whole bunch of us aren't, <laughs> you know, it was this sense of like, that, that was kind of the theme that kept coming up, at least in a lot of the conversations that I was having word betrayal betrayal disorientation yeah, depression confusion. like confusion like uh disheartening this is not what i thought it was mm-hmm. um the article interviews all these people and it's saying things like this is not the faith that that i thought i had mm-hmm. this is not like, i didn't sign up for this did not sign yeah. up for this um it goes on to describe the overwhelming amount of people that are leaving the evangelical church as a result of it, but there's this fascinating line in the article. It goes on to quote 
Russell Moore, who resigned from his leadership position in the Southern Baptist Convention over um, the denomination's resistance to address racism and sexual abuse scandals. And uh, it, it, it quotes him at um, a conference, and he says this. He says, We now see young evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism, not because they do not believe what the church teaches, he said, but because they believe that the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. Wow. That's such a line. Yeah. And so it goes on to describe this overwhelming like movement of people that are leaving and they're just going, we're leaving this institution behind. It's just too, like, like we're not giving up on Jesus. We're not giving up on the faith. We're not giving up on the movement. We're just recognizing that this particular shaping of this institution no longer embodies the thing that it said it did. I mean, is that, that, that's the way that, that I would translate it. Um, a few other interesting bits that just shape the conversation. Um, I feel like I'm overquoting this thing now. Well, it was really interesting. So I actually think it's helpful as we're setting up this conversation. Um, it goes on and, and, and describes how difficult it is within Christian organizations because it's so tense and divided and like mm. angrily bitter to where it's no longer a disagreement where there's an underlying unity. It's just like a shame, polarizing, fighting, pushing, like kind of intense environment. And so he says there's an evangelical friend of his um, who said uh, what used to be open fields are now minefields. Yeah, I love that. That line is so, just nails it on the head. He says, if you invite such and such a speaker to your Christian college, it means you've surrendered to the woke brigades. If you use this word in your sermon, you're guilty of critical race theory. And he says pastors across the political spectrum are exhausted partly because of COVID, but partly because every word they use is scrutinized to see if it passes this or that ideological litmus test. I mean, <laughs> we... Yes, yes. Yes. This is so true. Yes. <laughs> yep. I mean... Even still, like, I think that... Exhausting. <sighs> Sorry. So exhausting. Are we in a mode of reaction together? You go. Yeah. Every word you say is scrutinized. And I think even still, like, that's something that... I'm realizing is so ingrained in me from having led a church community and being so used to the scrutiny of like, it's funny because a lot of times it was from other, honestly, leaders Oh, mostly, in other mostly, <laughs> churches. Mostly other Christian leaders. Um, or, I mean, definitely within the system, right? Most of the criticism that we received was within, from within, um, but I'm realizing now, like as we're doing this work now, that I'm so conditioned to be so careful about what I'm saying because I know that that's a thing, you know? And yeah. we're, we're, we're talking about like we just want to be like as authentic and honest as we can possibly be. And we've always worked so hard to be that. But there is this sense of like... It's fighting against it's your... Costly. your um... The evolution of your defense mechanisms based on a history of totally. of experience of trauma and abuse from spiritual leaders. Yeah. That was a long sentence and it was good. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I more just see it as like if you've been punched in the face doing something once, maybe just you are a little more like timid. Or again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. And you just keep smiling and taking it. Oh, um, yeah. Totally. 
And and this is what's fascinating in the article. It says the healthiest people spiritually tend to be the least engaged in these struggles. Hmm. The unhealthiest tend to be the most engaged in spiritual life and politics. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. The people who care the most are going to set the agenda. Hmm. What do you think about that? I think there's a truth to it because... Like the loudest win? Is that what that's saying? You know? The most healthy spiritually want nothing to do with the toxic division and the fighting. Right. They're not and the ones putting the boxing gloves on. Commenting on mm -hmm. it. And so when the people who are more balanced and healthy and um, have a self-differentiation and a healthy level of spirituality and all those things stay out of it and you leave the people that... Mm. that don't have that it tends to be explosive and toxic and yeah. divisive and, yeah and like that's what you end up hearing because that's those people are being the loudest it's kind of like the news cycles we're hearing you know what what gets shared isn't like the beautiful stories of people just going about like being lovely to each other you hear about like the yeah whatever down this right <laughs> down, that's, that's boring news yeah the fight down the street or whatever. But this right. fight okay. is everywhere now. It's like the fight down <clears throat> the street turned into the riot <clears throat> of the nation. Yeah. Um, but the point of the article was that there are some within this tradition that are hoping to essentially save it from itself, to reform it, to, to bring about a new reformation so that it would embody what it actually says it is, a movement yeah. of self-giving love for the healing of the world. That That's my own words. Mm -hmm. Um and he describes this process. He says the um, there's like a few stages in a process like this. And he says the first is the experience of breaking from the tradition, rethinking, and then reorienting your life to something different where you can have new thoughts, new ideas, and kind of a new way of thinking and being is like a first stage. And then he says the second stage is um, if, if breaking ranks and rethinking is the first stage, he says bearing witness to the, the reality of what's happening. Is, is the next stage. And he says there are now many, many people who are refusing to be silent about the injustices, yeah. about the hypocrisy, about the abuses of power, about the yeah. celebrity, about the, the scandal, about the oppression, like the, the whole thing, the injustice. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think it's a super necessary part of the process, right? Is being honest about where there is injustice and um i think the problem is where we when we stay there you know i mean i know we've talked about a lot like people throw around this word like deconstruction and i think we're at a point where we're like that's not interesting really to us is like just to sit around all day essentially <laughs> right criticizing the thing i think for us it's more about like reimagining what could be yeah, it's interesting how it's critical, but it's a trap that you can get stuck in. Mm. And then he goes on and says yeah. the third stage is like a social reorganization of the whole thing. Right, okay. <laughs> like a, so, But what's interesting is the, the, the author goes on and he, he actually starts quoting people that are trying to move the thing forward and reform it. He quotes like Mark Laberton, the president of Fuller Theological Seminary, who has all these different students, um, who he said... Uh, still believe in the thing, but not the institutional shroud that it comes wrapped in. Mm -hmm. He says they love Jesus, but they've had it with the institutions their elders have built in his name. Mm 
And, and it goes on to say the future is not going to look like the past. And he says there's a powerful force that's coming where there's a whole change that's, that's like happening right now. And the things that people are interested in who are coming out of those types of schools are nothing like what exists right now. Hmm. Which is, I mean, it's, okay, that is a fascinating article. Now, we said there were two things. Which, by the way, would probably sound really scary to somebody who is the thing is working for, the institution is working for, or you're leading the institution. Or, or you haven't thought about it. Or maybe you're like, I don't know, this, yeah, this isn't something I've thought about. But for people that it's not working for, or people that have been hurt in that system, or people that are, are wanting to hold on to the essence and to the truth of the thing, to what Jesus actually is about, I think it could be a really exciting thing to hear that and hopeful. Okay, second thing. This post from Aaron Nequist. Who's, who is he, by the way? Aaron Nequist is, I don't know him personally. I met him once. He seemed like a really nice guy. Um, he is the son-in-law of Bill Hybels, who was the founding lead pastor of Willow Creek community church in Chicago that had the great, um, oh gosh, I don't even know the language. And he's, he's also an, um, an author and a pastor. Himself. Yeah. I mean, there's Not, a, I mean, if you're in the evangelical tradition, you, you know about what happened at Willow Creek. And then Aaron is a author. He's like a Christian leader. He, he was leading an alternative kind of gathering there at, at Willow, um, back in the day. He wrote this, Jen. Why don't you read this one? I okay. read all the other This is ones. the Instagram post? This is. Okay, this is the thing that my friend sent me this morning. It's just where this conversation came from. I respect those who are trying to save, in quotes, evangelicalism from itself, as David Brooks writes in this fascinating New York Times piece. In most cases, institutions only change through courageous reformers on the inside, and so their work matters. But as for me... While I haven't lost faith in the many, many Jesus-centered evangelicals that I know and love, I don't want to spend any energy trying to fix or save the container. The system doesn't want to be saved. Instead of bailing out a sinking ship or gleefully poking more holes in the hole, what if we create as many life rafts as possible? What if we work tires tirelessly to widen the window back to Jesus for anyone who feels trapped in a boat that keeps taking on water? Containers come and go. They are important because we need each other, but they're often... They're often time-bound. May we let go of anything that no longer floats. And may we cling humbly and with great hope to the way of Christ. So. I like this. I really like the way that he said this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really well said. So in this season we've been talking about, we can make change. And to me, this is such a fascinating bit of social commentary on what's happening with the church and how it's changing. How there's this huge movement of people that are leaving the church, not because they don't believe in Jesus or not because they don't want to keep going in their faith and their spiritual life, but because they feel that the institution... The container. The yeah. container doesn't. And they feel like they have to keep going, essentially, is what this article is saying wow. from this research which is super fascinating. And so it's like broke down in these like three interesting ways. And so this article is describing those who are trying to save the thing, the institution. And they're working very hard within that container 
to maintain that container because it, it has, has immense values. It has had immense value. That's uh, right. So that's one. That's the first kind of group. The article describes it. The second, I love how Nyquist describes it because he says... Um, Those poking hole in it, right? Yeah, Hoping yeah. to sink it faster. <laughs> he uses this boat analogy, which I think is funny. And he said, but there's people on the outside like poking holes on the side of a sinking ship, hoping to make it go down faster. And and those are the, those are the people that I just, I mean, we've talked to so many people in that place, so many people. And There's a huge movement of this right now. Yeah. Angry, frustrated. Okay, Tahoe. Wait, wait, but I was going to say something. Sorry, yeah, go, you go. <laughs> wait, oh, I'm excited about this story. I know what you're going to say. Yes. Uh, I was just going to say that I think a lot of these people have been hurt. You know, like when we talk to people in this place, there's a lot of hurt. Also, I think there's a lot of just really truth to what they're saying, and they're pointing out like obvious truth. Yes. Well, Maybe. yes. Anyway, which, so but, but which, Tahoe first. Okay, to, <laughs> tell us. We went on a road trip to Tahoe, actually the first summer of COVID. And there's a lake, so Lake Tahoe, Northern California is so beautiful in the summer. If you've never been there, it is awesome. No, it was magic. Um, it, I want to go back. But there is a lake on the north side that is like a smaller lake that you have to, it's a long drive. And then it's a long, like almost four wheel drive run to get up this like little mountain range and then over and across and out. And the lake is famous because one, it has these killer cottages that take like years to get into. If you're, if you were going to get one, forget about it. It's already too late. Two <laughs> is it has these huge cliffs with all these different like rock jumping yep. spaces. But like- Which is why we went there. He, like people have died. There are signs that say you can die jumping off of these cliffs. And so we read about it and we're like, this is where we need to go. Check yeah. it. And it ranges from like, you know, 10 feet, five feet to like 80 feet, 100 foot. These cliff jumps that are sheer deep. People put on wetsuits and perform these epic like flipping, spinning yeah. jumps off the thing. And so we were pumped. So we got a little boat and we like paddled across the lake and, and the boys were getting all fired up. We did the small ones and then the medium ones. And they were like, we don't want anything to do with the big jumps. And we watched people jump off them. And these were like a hundred feet probably. Uh, some of them were. maybe. Uh, it was, whatever it was, it was massive. It was, it was too high for us. We watched one guy jump <laughs> off and he got in trouble and people oh, had to swim yeah, out and right. swim him in that. because he couldn't. Oh, he just, he was like not moving. He was extremely disoriented. <laughs> but this other dude showed up. And he had a wetsuit on in the summer. <laughs> and his wetsuit was if he slapped, it would protect it. But he took it serious. <laughs> and he's up at the top and he's, he's like. He's stretching. He's making drama. He's acts. like, no, but, it was a whole routine. Like, <laughs> it was a whole but show. There's, but there's like a peanut gallery <laughs> in the lake. Because all of us are just watching. But there's a bunch of us on paddle boards or in boats. And Little floaties. And there's these, these dudes, these three dudes in inner tubes. Tied together, tied together to each other. Big straw hats <laughs> and big beer bellies, and they had an White inner, claw. and they had an inner tube with an ice chest <laughs> oh, that they that. brought. I mean, the drive to get there was intense. The walk from the parking lot, if you can even get parking, is like it's over a mile. That's right. And then you have to like carry, like they carried the ice chest and the tubes and the hats. They did. The oh yeah, whole they were thing. committed. Yeah. And then they paddled out across the lake <laughs> and they posted up in like prime position under the jump, and they were there solely to heckle the people <laughs> that were jumping. So... And they didn't know them because you could tell by the interactions. But they started yelling, and the guy at the top would take like a pebble and throw it off, and to count the seconds of how long it was to guess how far his jump was, to time his spin, or like he was taking it serious. And the guys started heckling. It was a little much. So I mean. bad. 
that they got in his head and he started screaming at the guys and then the guys like looked at each other and they started laughing super hard and started high-fiving each other and that's how they spent their Saturdays. It was so funny. Oh, you think they were regulars? I th- yes. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. This has to be the way they do it. It's like high school I never stopped. It's I like just, high school never stopped. I just think stopped. they were just having a good time. It was so funny. We were just screaming laughing. I mean, it was the best entertainment. Oh my gosh, the, all the, it was, you need to go to this, like, I don't remember the name of it. We'll, we'll figure it out and put it in the notes on the podcast. But I kind of think of it a little bit like that. Mm, the hecklers. I, I think there are some. With their white claws in the floaties. Just like white claw. <laughs> just let's poke holes and tear it down. And then they get some pastor to like make mention oh, of them or yeah. make mention of their Instagram page that is all deconstructed and then game on and then when the you know then they like start it's, it's almost like when the guy breaks his moment of jumping and starts yelling like we made the sermon and they're like high-fiving each other with their white claws oh, and they so think it's funny, funny. but i uh, i also think that there are those who it's like those three stages that david brooks talked about the first is like a break from the ranks and a ability to rethink and reshape and reorient the second is giving witness to mm-hmm. an experience. And I think there are those who need to give witness to what they see, what they've experienced, and what has happened. Mm-hmm. They have to call it out. And that's actually really healthy. Mm-hmm. And, and important. And really important. Yeah. Especially when there's like abuse involved and that stuff needs to be called out. Super critical. Really important. Um, really important. But regardless, there's people that Aaron says in this thing are like poking holes in the okay. ship, trying to make it sink faster. Um, and then what's what's fascinating though is what he says in the end is he's not interested in any of that. He's not interested in trying to bail water from the sinking ship. He's not interested in poking holes in it to watch it go down faster. He says that um, he's interested in something else entirely those who would work tirelessly to open the window back to jesus for anybody that feels trapped in a boat that keeps taking on water and he says containers come and go and they're important they're important because we need each other but often those containers are quite time bound yeah well i think about how and we talked about it in our first season i believe but you were talking about how every 500 years essentially we have like a wholesale kind of like a yard sale and the church has basically like reinvented itself, right? Like the, the structure, the way that it's looked, the container, um, not only the church, but society, right? Yeah. I, um, we're reading this book. I, obviously we, you and I are reading this book, but for those who are listening, we're reading this book. A group that we're in. Yeah. Called John, uh, by John Philip Newell called The Rebirthing of God, Christianity's Struggle for New Beginnings. It's super good. Um, super duper good. You should read it. He quotes in the first chapter um, the French Jesuit priest and scientist who he calls the first modern Christian prophet of the sacredness of the universe. Wow. Gosh, I would like that title at some point. <laughs> wow. Um, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. I don't know if I said that right. That's sounding good to me. But he says... One of the major themes to emerge that he's affirming is the understanding that Christianity was reaching the end of one of the natural cycles of its existence. 
and its need to be born again. Like a like a reborn. Yeah, that book was written a while ago too. Thing it was a few years ago, and I love that that language. It's just the end of one of the natural cycles of its existence. Like the the death and resurrection of Jesus is an ongoing reality, both in our own lives, in our own growth and transformation, but also in the whole, in the mm. movement. Yeah. And this is one of the natural cycles of its existence. And and, and I love that that language that it's 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 a container. Like the movement's yeah. bigger than the containers. Mm that we put it in yeah. and it's really easy to over identify with the container mm. and be like we have to defend and forget that yeah and patch the holes and forget that the movement is much bigger than the container the container can hold it in a particular way for a particular time but it's always going to keep outgrowing those containers yeah and the container was always meant to be like the thing that facilitates getting to the <laughs> The thing, you know what I mean? So for that, if it's not, the container's not working anymore, why are we holding on to the container the way that we do? You know, why do we keep polishing that container, you know, and trying to spruce it back up? I don't know, Jesus talks about this. He talks about new wine needing new wineskins, new containers. Yeah, but yeah. The, the tendency is, is always to stop there where you have an experience, where you experience something. Like, like even Peter in like the story in the New Testament with the transfiguration when Jesus takes them up on the mountain and he's turned white like an angel glowing. And Peter's like, we should set up an altar right mm. here. We made <laughs> yeah. it. Let's post up. And then yeah. God's like, shut up, Peter. Just listen to Jesus. Like, keep going. Like, no, mm. the point is you had this epic experience so that you could keep going and carrying it forward into where it's going. It had mm. a long way to go from there. Let's just plant the altar right here. Let's. This is good. We'll stop here. You know, and I think that's what we've been talking about with change in this season is like change actually can be super uncomfortable. Like, I mean, we're working on something right now for the future that we'll be talking about, um, about how to know if you're growing or not. And I think one of the major signs that you're growing is if you are in an, in an uncomfortable state. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I think that's actually part of growth. It's not comfortable. Unfortunately, well, it's expanding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too the way the framing I think is quite beautiful because I I think there's this expansion that's happening and I think there's uh, there's this movement of people that are leaving a particular form or a particular institution or a particular container mm -hmm. to use those languages. But they're not saying they're done. They're like we it, like the the language, at least at the Southern Baptist Convention leader was saying was, we're leaving in order to fully be this thing, mm -hmm. which is but 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 it also creates this sense in which you're leaving a spiritual home, almost into like a nomadic space where it's 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 a little bit disorienting, and it's like. Um, some of the language that I've heard people use is like like almost like spiritual nomads. There's a huge movement of spiritual nomads that are stepping out of a, a thing in order to keep going, which is fascinating because even the way that um, Mark Laberton, the president of Fuller Seminary, in that piece, 
described what he's seeing any young people that are looking to be spiritual leaders in the future coming out of that seminary is they're saying they're not envisioning anything like what their elders built in terms of institutions and structures and forms. They're envisioning entirely other things. Which is fascinating. I want to talk to those kids. I mean, it's... Those kids, but we were those kids at one point. Which is, is incredible that there is mm. a there's a new thing that's being birthed. It's like a reborn mm. movement. I mean, on the spiritual landscape, it just is what's happening. There's a movement away from the institutional self-preservation, the abuses of power, the, um, the marginalizing of people, like the celebrity, like there's, there's a, there's a movement of people saying, we're not, no, we're not, we're not. Well, you were calling it this last season, like the great revealing. I think it's like a, a huge revealing. And I think it's, it's an awakening. I think it's like people waking up saying, yeah, no, we don't have to participate in it like that. In fact, we can keep going. Even if we don't know what's there, like we're going to figure it out and we're going to keep going. People aren't giving up. Right. People are saying- They're not giving up on faith. They're not no, giving, no, yeah. A lot of people are in deep crisis. They're in a container that's making them question everything. And they're saying, this is not my faith. And they're saying, I'm not none, but I'm, I'm done. And that's okay. It's okay to feel that way. As people are continuing to keep going, they're, they're still gathering. They're still giving themselves away for the healing of the world. There's people that are actually owning their faith and the authority that God's given them and what Jesus called discipleship. Like that, there's like a, a, a decentralized, deinstitutionalized restructuring of people saying, well, if that's, that container failed us and already ran its cycle, there are those who continue to step into those unknown spaces. They continue to embody it. And there's also those who are continuing to step into those spaces to continue pastoring and guiding and leading and caring for people. The thing's going to keep going as it always has. It's going to keep going. It's like a river. The river always finds a way. You block it up somewhere, it's going to punch out somewhere else. Like it's going to work its way around. Like that's what rivers do. This is a giant river that's that's moving forward and it's it's wild to see it break through into like a new space, into a new iteration. It's funny when you talked about the river, I got this strong like picture of what rivers do when they when the water's really flowing. And if you picture like a river, I'm just going with, this just yeah, popped in my head, so I'm just going to share this. Oh, I just am like ranting over here, so come on. Um, if you think about it, like that, when you're in the flow of a river, and, and especially if it's like there's a lot of water, as it's flowing, it's like breaking off by like, you picture like dead branches and things hanging over into the river. It's like actually breaking off those pieces as it's going. You know what I mean? And I think it's okay for us to let the things that need to die, die. Or like be broken off, like the pieces that don't, that aren't in line, that aren't in alignment with who God really is, you know, love and inclusion and like embrace and grace and forgiveness and all these things. Like it's okay to let those things be broken off and to, and to call them what they are and to let it be and to let that thing. Yeah. I don't know. That's beautiful. I do. 
Last time we went to Zion National Park, it's the most epic place. Uh, don't a little overcrowded right now. Don't go there. In fact, <laughs> it, the place sucks. <laughs> I don't ever want to see you there. Last time we went, it was so crowded. Um, it's the most ugly canyon but it's so deep and the way that the river it's just it's a river that cut through it also the surf spots where we spot where we surf are also really ugly and terrible terrible beach is bad <laughs> but like the way that the river can cut through the rock and, oh my gosh i remember the guides talking about the sheer amount like the millions of tons of dirt and sediment that it carries and logs and rocks just carries down and as it continues to move and how cleans it out well and and they're talking about how there was one flood where the river couldn't like it, it, it kept hitting like a block so it decided to divert itself because it had to keep going and it took the whole road out and trapped people up in the um the lodge it was further up the canyon and they're like the river's gonna go hmm. you can't stop the river from going wow and it took them forever to get everybody out and it's it's they just live in this knowledge there's signs everywhere the river could flood at any moment so yeah. so beware it's a little scary but I like that view of God and the spirit. The river's coming. When did we ever think that it was like, it's like in the desert places where it's dry for a long time. And you're like, there's no way there could be a river here. But when the rain comes, whoom, like it floods they it. Get and floods. it's dangerous. Mm. And it's like that. Or like you're hiking the narrows in the back of Zion. And it's like this ankle deep, like silly thing. But they're like, this will kill you when the water comes and you'll never see it. Come. Like, they live in this constant awareness. The river's always flowing. Mm. Always be ready. I love that. Mm. Yeah, so there. A couple thoughts on a couple of things we read this morning. I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, philandjenwood.com, to register for upcoming experiences and to see what else is going on. And if you enjoyed this, feel free to subscribe. You can even leave a review. Keep going. See you next time.